0: Good morning. Um, Today's reading is from Acts 27, 13 through 20. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running along the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'll try that again. Good morning, Redemption Tucson.
1: Take two. Hannah, that was great. That was a really compelling section of Scripture. Uh, My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors and one of the leaders here. And this morning, uh, I get the privilege of getting to preach. But uh, typically, I'm up here leading the music. Actually, Ian uh, is leading us. And it's his first time leading at Redemption Tucson. So I'm really thankful for him. And uh, thanks for leading us in this. This morning's a pretty uh, special morning for us at Redemption for a couple reasons. One, as you may have noticed, there's a lot of just really uh, encouraging things happening and exciting things happening here uh, in our community, from mentorship to membership, from Redemption communities. We had a Guatemala interview last Sunday. We have an All of Life interview this Sunday. There's a lot going on, and it's, it's encouraging. <laughs> it, is, it is really encouraging. And then second reason this morning is special is, is we're actually going to be finishing the book of Acts today. And I don't know if that's a good thing to cheer about. I don't hear that going on. You guys really didn't like Acts. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But next week, actually, we're going to wrap up the sermon series. Dave is going to be talking about the whole book and what things we want to take away that we pray would shape our church as we move forward. So you're definitely going to want to be here for that. And I'm going to be leading us in chapters 27 and 28. And um, I want to say that last words matter. matter. Endings matter. And so let's look at the way that Luke ends Acts today. We've got a lot to cover, so you can start turning to Acts 27 now if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get one into your hands. We believe that the Word of God is the very Word of the Lord Himself. And so if you don't own a Bible or if you don't have one with you, would you raise your hand? And some people here are going to get one for you. If you, uh, if you do own a Bible and you just forgot it, um, just leave the Bible on your seat when you leave, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up for you. Let me pray for us. And if you need a Bible in Spanish, we have that for you as well, all right? Let me pray, and um, we'll get right to Acts 27. God, you are good. You're the author of the story God, you are at work, and we see evidence of that in our local church. We see evidence of that in the community of churches, in our city, in our region, in our nation, and across the world. Holy Spirit, as you inspired Luke to write this book, I pray that you would inspire me and fill me and give me the words to say that I might communicate what you intended clearly. Would you help me? I need you. I'm not intelligent enough, nor am I interesting enough to be able to do this on my own. I need you. Would you uh, open every one of our hearts Even now, that we would receive your word. Would you do what only you can do? Change us, mold us, make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, I got one kind of overarching point that's gonna be here on the screen that's gonna keep, we're just gonna keep going back to it over and over again. And, And it's the idea that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. God does what he says he's gonna do. God is faithful. And God has made promises to Paul, and God has made promises in scripture. And he's going to keep them. And what we're going to see as we conclude our time in Acts is that, as always, it, it's not easy for Paul. It's not easy. And it's not going to come as expected. And I think it's important for us to remember in this Acts 27 as we're moving on here, as we're, as we're kind of concluding this book, is, is that this chapter, this section, this message happens in the context of the rest of the book of Acts. And I, we need to remember, Paul is en route to Rome as a prisoner. He's en route to Rome. He's endured unjust trial and corrupt leadership, and he stood his ground firmly on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is on trial because he won't stop preaching about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And we talked about last week, Paul is a type of of one-trick pony, as as Dave said. As a musician, I like to think of Paul as a one-hit wonder. Uh, he's just got one song and he plays it loud. You go to the concert for the one song, right? And Paul's got one song and it's Jesus and his resurrection. This is Paul's vision, his motivation. This is his reality and it defines his entire life. And I pray it would define our entire life as well. So that's the context as we jump in here. And so chapter 27 begins with Paul's voyage to Rome, again as a prisoner. In verses 1 through 8, they describe uh, how they struggle to simply get through the first leg of the journey. It takes them longer to get to the island of Crete than they anticipated, and it was more difficult. And so let's pick it up in verse 9. We're not going to go through every single verse, because that would be like 70 verses. And I don't think I've got the stamina to go like two hours on that. And so I don't think uh, you all would appreciate that either, maybe this morning. And so uh, let's pick it up in verse uh, 9. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over. That's the Day of Atonement. This puts us in the fall. Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix and spend the winter there. So right out of the gate, people have been uh, wintering in Phoenix, apparently, for a long time. Hey, uh, that was cheesy, yes. Uh, yeah, that going on. Also, Paul now apparently is like a maritime expert, right? Like he's advising these people. And I'll, I'll give Paul some credit. Paul might not be a maritime expert, but Paul is a shipwreck expert. Because at this point, he's been shipwrecked three times. And Paul, I think, is like, I know a little something about shipwrecks. And we're about to, we're about to enter into one right about now, guys. Like, trust me, I know. It's like the guy who's been in a lot of car crashes. He's like... I don't know if I trust you driving, but I, you can smell something when it's coming. Uh, so I'm going to take a listen. But Paul advises these seasoned sailors about the dangers of the sea. But the centurion listens to the sailors instead of Paul. And I want us to notice something about Paul's response. Because at some level, the centurion's response is not exactly shocking. You've got professional sailors and then a guy who's been in shipwrecks. Um, Notice Paul's response. Something, something we talk a lot about at Redemption, and I, I want Dave talks about it a lot. And actually, I think Dave is not in his normal spot. I think he's up in the balcony getting to, getting to experience that going on. Um, but I think something Dave says a lot that's really shaped my leadership is the idea of humble boldness. This the idea of humble boldness. And, and Paul gives us a great example here of what humble boldness looks like. He, he speaks up boldly. He doesn't withhold what he thinks. And spoiler, as Hannah just read, he was right <laughs> in this thing. Um, he speaks up boldly. But when the centurion and the crew, when they decide against his advice, he humbly submits to their decision. He keeps the faith. He trusts God that he's going to keep his word because because God told Paul that he would stand before Caesar and he would reach Rome. And, and, And Paul trusts that God is going to get him there even in the face of uncertainty, even in the face of foolishness, even in the face of danger. And what we got to realize here is that Paul is not frenzied. He's not frantic. He's not anxious. He's not like, guys, I've been in shipwrecks. We are going on a course of another shipwreck. Like, guys, you need to listen to me. No, no, no. Listen, 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 listen. He is at peace. He doesn't have that posture that, that so often we have, right? He trusts God. And the whole theme of Paul's life is, is, is that he's willing to lay down his life for the, good of the, for the sake of the gospel and the good of others. He even says, I don't account of my life of any value to myself or as precious to myself. If only I might finish my course and I might testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is committed. He's saying, I'm willing to die for this thing because I'm so convinced that Jesus died and rose again and that he indeed is Lord. And the whole life of the Christian is willing to lay his life and his reputation and his comfort or her status down for the gospel and for others. That we might follow the course of Jesus' life. I was at a conference for for two days this week, and so much of what we're talking about is the idea of the life of Jesus. We talk about this J-curve. You have the life, then we descend into the death of Christ. We share in his sufferings, and then we rise with him. But a death comes before resurrection. Acts shows us that Paul trusts God to keep his word even when it would be costly to himself. And what we see in the book of Acts is you have all these other leaders, the second that trusting Jesus, the second that that following the gospel, the second that being obedient to the commands of God would cost them anything, they bail. We've seen that over and over and over. God is calling us to a costly faith, a costly faith unto Jesus. Jesus himself said, pick up your cross. And follow me. Something a couple weeks ago that was said is death is at the center of love. And death comes before resurrection. And in Acts 27, the centurion here, he holds on to conventional wisdom, right? But Paul holds on to the greater promise, the word of God. Now I'll say, no, Paul knowing God's character and God's word completely transforms how he approaches life. It completely shapes the life of Paul. And I want to ask, like, what does it actually mean for us to trust in God, to trust in his word, to trust in his promises? I want to say, at some level, you are non-anxious. you got nothing to prove, nobody to impress, as we say a lot. you got this humble boldness. you got this security, this steadiness, this peace. And I want to say, Christian, this isn't just like a pie-in-the-sky idea. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have some peace? Wouldn't it be great if we could just be steady? Wouldn't it be nice? Like, this is what God promises. This is what God offers as the prince of peace. He gives peace. And I want to say, like, God has made promises to you, Christian. And God keeps his word. God loves you. He he adopted you. Nothing you can do is going to make him, him love you any more or any less because it's been finished on the cross. Jesus' identity is your identity. Forgiven, pure, righteous. You are loved. You're secure in grace. That's good news, amen? Amen simply means I agree. I'm tracking. I'll try that again. You are secure in grace. You are loved. You are adopted. You are accepted in Christ. That's good news, Amen. Back to our text. The people, they, they, they don't listen to Paul. They, they encounter this massive storm. They're driven off course and they're lost at sea. That's what Hannah read there. And, and let's pick it up in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I want to tell you, this is one of the greatest I told you so's in all of literature. It's <laughs> one of the most well-executed ones. And I don't know Paul's posture here. Uh, he's probably way more godly than I told you so. But um, here's the thing. I mean, parents, maybe at some degree, uh, I told you so is biblical. So you can, you can go be encouraged with that. I don't ad- ad- maybe advise taking parenting advice from a guy without kids. But yeah, that going on. Yeah, verse 22. Yet I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only to the ship. Which is good news unless you own the ship, right? Like, we're only going to list the ship here. Uh, Also, this isn't a sailboat. Like, this isn't Paul and a soldier, like, set up the sail and head out on a sailboat, like, on a nice, like, get on the skipper. Let's get our sperries and a turtleneck and go on, like, on the sea. I know, I know in Tucson we don't know much about water, but, I mean, Even the maps, you have this blue rivers, like Rito and Santa Cruz. Then you get there, and this is like, this is a dry nothing. Like, this is just deception going on Google Maps. Um, River. River. Uh, We don't know a lot about water, but let me tell you this, for those of us who who don't know water, Tucsonans. um, The Mediterranean Sea is big. It's not a lake. It's really big. Like, you can't see across it. Like, it's really big. This vessel's massive. Like, 276 people are on it. And Paul's not the only prisoner, there's a whole bunch of prisoners as well. This is a massive vessel. Verse 23, Paul's saying, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And I want to pause here. This idea, Christian, Paul wants to make something abundantly clear. And that's the reality that we belong to Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. Paul writes elsewhere that we are not our own. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. We belong to Jesus Christ. He even says elsewhere, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christianity is about belonging to Christ. It's about worshiping Christ. It's about surrendering to Christ everything we have. Our identity, our life itself, our identity is wrapped up. Everything we have is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is who we are surrendering to. This is whose identity we're wrapped up in. Is the God who died that we might live. Pick it up in verse 24. And he said, this is the angel that, that spoke to Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And now Paul's going to speak in light of that to the, to the sailors here. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I want to say, what a beautiful picture of faith. That it will be exactly as I have been told. Now I think it's going to be kind of like it, exactly as it has been told. Paul is steady, at peace, confident, trusting in God in the middle of a circumstance that doesn't make sense to Where conventional wisdom would say, that's crazy, you're lost at sea, starving, where all hope has been abandoned. And there in that place, Paul trusts in God, trusts him to keep his word. Verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. In verses 27 through 44, which we're not gonna get into, describe how this happens exactly as as it was so. God keeps his word. They, They do run aground on some island, they do lose the ship, they do lose the cargo. And just an aside, I'm not going to make a big point out of this, but notice the businessmen aboard this ship lose everything. Paul loses nothing. When your identity and life is wrapped up in anything apart from Christ, it is on very shaky ground. Paul loses nothing. His everything is Christ. His everything is Jesus Christ. And you can't ultimately lose when your everything and identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. When everything is tied up in Christ, he never fails and he keeps his word. We tracking with that? We tracking? Before we keep moving, I think it's important for us to even pause on this last kind of in the text of Acts and and remind us something about the nature of God's word. And, And if you'll notice, we've been in Acts uh, for a little while. And you'll also notice we don't get a list of commands, at least not very often. It isn't a moral guide. This isn't five easy points on how to be a Christian according to the early church, right? Like, that's not what we're getting here. And, and, and some of you might even be wondering. Actually I actually had someone ask me this, like, what's the point? And I pray we would have the, 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 the safe place in our redemption communities to ask questions like that. Like, what is the point Luke is trying to make here? And I want to confess to you, I don't think Luke is so concerned with making points as he is about telling the true story and allowing that true story to shape every aspect of the hearer's life. And I want to tell you, like, there's of course implications. There are of course lessons. I'm going to try to pull out some and and have them be something that informs this. We, We try to do this. But... This is not just a book of rules. There's a narrative aspect to Scripture. This is not a, a, a simply a religious book. This is the true story of the entire world. And I want to ask you, church, we become so familiar with things that we lose their power. Do you realize how ridiculous, that, like, maybe to the world, the claims of this book are? The, the, the Bible proclaims that it knows how everything began— Everything. It knows how everything was created. It knows how we all got here. It knows how everything came to be. It also says, I know what everything, I know everything that's wrong with the world, its source. Why the world is broken and and distorted, and why there is pain and suffering, and why the world is not as it ought to be. It says it well, it knows that as well. It also says it knows how we can fix it. And it also says it knows where the end of the story is going. How the story will end. So this book says it knows how everything began, it knows why everything's wrong, it knows where we're going, and it knows how to fix it, it knows how we're gonna get there. And we wanna reduce it, as one theologian says, to merely, merely religious bits. This is the true story of the world. And it is authoritative because it claims to be reality. I stealing from him a little bit, I, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. If we're going to cheer for that, we better cheer for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't walk around wondering, like, where's Frodo? This story is altogether unique for it claims to be reality itself. This narrative has authority. So let's continue with the narrative. Pick it up in chapter 28, the final chapter of Acts, verse 1. After we were brought safely through... We learned that the island was called Malta. Remember they're shipwrecked and run aground here. They learned that the island is called Malta. The native people showed unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, "No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live." Whether that's the God of justice or whether that's justice personified, um, it's either one there. And, and he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. You can picture the scene. Like, And then, but when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune had come upon him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. And it's so tempting to say, that's stupid. (laughs) Like, that's really dumb. Like, that's really silly. These Malta people, man, that is, like, come on. (laughs) Like, at some level, I think it's easier for us to say, like, that is really dumb. Snake bitten, and he's a murderer. Oh, he's fine. He's a god. I don't want to say. Church, there's a little bit of Malta in all of us. There's a little bit of Malta in all of us. Malta simply embraces, I'm not saying this was their like whole philosophy. Don't, don't go like Google Malta beliefs. This is just me pulling out something here. Malta simply embraces the idea if bad things happen to you, you must be bad. If good things happen to you, well, you must be good. And that's karma. That's superstition. That's a lie. That's ultimately slavery, and that's not the gospel. And yet many of us right here, right now, are operating as if Malta is the way. In this church. What do I mean? Christian, do you believe that God is more likely to answer your prayers if you can just get some distance between, you know, you and your last big sin? Do you think God's a little more more likely to answer your prayers if you just get some distance, some space, some clean space, you know what I mean? Like, that's Malta. Now I'm just going to preach here for a second. Christian, you have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus' identity is yours. He died on that cross. He took your identity of death and sin and shame and He's given you His identity of life and righteousness and forgiveness and grace. You this idea of in Christ, you are perfectly clean, Christian. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are adopted by a heavenly Father who is eager as your good Father to receive your prayers. You want some distance between you and your last big sin? In Christ, God says He's separate your sin as far as the east is from the west how is that for some distance amen, amen. And, and here's the thing do you think that if something bad happens to you it's God punishing you because you must have done something wrong Like, I didn't get that job promotion. This person slandered my name. These bad things are happening to me. I don't know why this abuse happened in my life. I don't know what's going on here. God must be punishing me for what I've done. Because at some level, we look at our lives and we we fluctuate between being proud and utterly, utterly just overwhelmed by our sin. And we think, God, yeah, I've done everything to deserve this. I must be under the weight of God's punishment. And let me tell you, church, God is just. And he already punished Jesus on that cross and he will not exact two payments for one crime. God is just and he has nothing but grace for you and love for you because Jesus has already paid for all of your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin and all you got left is grace for you. Amen? Amen. That's uh, This is good news. But when pain comes... When 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 loss comes, when trials come, when the proverbial snake bites and the poison leaves its sting, it exposes us and reveals our false gospels. Don't believe the way of Malta, the way of karma. One it isn't true. It isn't true. And two, there is something better. The gospel of grace. The good news, the gospel of grace, of us getting what we don't deserve. We get what Jesus deserves. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a glorious exchange it is. We're going to come back to some of these points in a little bit, but I'm going to keep rolling here. Chapter 28, verses 7 through 10. God demonstrates his power through healing. The way that these people get off the island of Malta is because Paul heals someone who happens to be a, a leader in that region and um, they're able to get a boat and set sail from Malta. Uh, verse 14, it's a really, really short up here, is, is, and so we came to Rome. And it's easy to just kind of read past that. Really, really easy, actually. You know, it's kind of like a list of names. You just kind of skim on past it. But, it might. it's tempting not to realize the significance of that statement, and we came to Rome. The significance is this is God keeping his word. This is God keeping his word. See, remember Acts 23, 11 here. And the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then our verse we just read. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. See, Paul arriving in Rome is a declaration of God's sovereignty, of his control, that he is the one who keeps his word, that he is the one who is in charge. And also it's important to realize, again, to echo something I said earlier, these promises were not given on like the bed of luxury. They were given lost at sea, like in prison cells. Paul went through a lot to get here to Rome. It was not a linear course, and it could have been it wasn't he was beaten he was in prison for 2 years that's a long time he he was shipwrecked snake bitten lost at sea persecuted and starving and yet it's through this journey that God is declaring his sovereignty and power and his goodness. Because it's in this journey that we find out that God is the calmer of storms, which hearkens us back to Jesus calming the storm, which hearkens us even back to the beginning of creation, that God is the one who created everything, so it listens to its creator's voice. He is the keeper of justice. He is the ultimate healer. He is the glorious deliverer. He is the king of kings. And and Festus and Agrippa and Bernice and Caesar himself are merely puppets. They are merely shadows of the reality of the King of Kings, Jesus Himself. He is the king. He has the kingdom. And God delivers Paul to Rome, just like he said he would. But God never told him how. I want to tell you, God's probably not telling you how either. I think with these authors, we, we want to almost deify them and take away the flesh and blood, like the incarnation, the reality of these things. Like, I don't think Paul had this weird, like, nirvana state about these things. This is just me talking. I think, at some level, I don't think Paul's sitting a f- day 500 in the jail cell and saying, oh, I get it. I don't think he has that. I don't think he's like lost at sea, abandoned, saying, oh God, I got it now. I see what you're doing. At some level, Paul has to simply trust that God is good and God is in control and that God keeps his word. Even in the midst of these circumstances that don't make sense to that, that don't fit with that. We have a faith, but as our church fathers said, it's not the amount of our faith that saves us. But the object of our faith that saves us. God Himself. Because we can turn having more faith into a Christian version of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. If I can just have some more faith. If I can just have some more faith, if I can just have some more faith. It's faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said. This tiny thing saves. And also, your faith is not built around you holding on to God. How hard you can just hold on, keep the faith. Our hope our faith is built around the, the reality of God holding on to us. one of those is going to produce slavery, the other one's going to produce peace God is God is we can have faith in God and our faith can transcend our circumstances because God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than our circumstances in I'm now kind of coming full circle to a point I was making earlier. And that's the that idea of we ought to come to terms that there's a difference between our will and God's plans, or our plans and God's will for our life. Paul wanted to go to Spain. There's debate if he ever got there. He's not there right now, he's a Roman prisoner. And yet, Paul was exactly in the smack dab middle of God's will for his life. Paul himself said that God appoints the time and the dwelling place of his people. He said that earlier in Acts. And yet some of us were looking at our life and were saying, this is not what I hoped for. This is not what I dreamed of. These were not the plans that I had. This is not what I hoped for. And we need to embrace two realities. And one, the world is broken and sin really hurts Not just things we do, but there's a collateral damage here. Sin really hurts. I don't know why certain things have happened in your life. I don't know why. I'm not going to tie a bow on it. I know some of you are here even right now because you're looking for answers. I know some of us in the room, were deeply hurting and we're disappointed, and I'm going to ask you that we're going we're to pray Later on in our service when we're responding, there's going to be people in the back, and I invite you to go pray with someone. To be like the psalmist and ask, how long, O Lord? Why is this happening? To cry out, do you see? Cry out to God. Lament. But I also know a a, a second truth. And all but one psalm of lament does this, that makes the turn. Yes, many of us are in pain. But oh, Christian, God is with you. God loves you. God knows your pain. The cross shows that God cares. The resurrection shows that God can do something about it. The cross shows that he cares, but he's not just a bleeding heart that just has good intentions. The resurrection shows that he can do something about it in your life. See, Jesus died and rose again, and he's coming back. And on that day, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. He will heal every broken heart. He will will meet every lost dream, and every justice against will be dealt with. And all that is broken will be healed and made right. I just want to ask, do you believe that? How would your suffering look different if you did? I am not saying ignore and just put on a face and just say, well, the end of the story is true, so I just need to ignore it. No, you need to enter in. But also, we can't ignore the end. Do you believe that? Do you, have you surrendered your life to this Jesus I invite you, I beg you to surrender your life to Christ who suffered and died and entered and, and empathizes and can relate and is, 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 is with you. I invite you to surrender to Jesus and enter into life itself if you've never done that before. And if you have, I invite you to surrender this to Jesus that you might partake of his suffering and partake of his goodness. Back to Paul. Remember, Paul's a prisoner in Rome. He's not sitting from a palace saying, isn't God good? He's saying it from shackles. This isn't vacation. In verse 15 through 25, they describe him under house arrest. And, and, and he meets Christians who are in Italy already. He encourages them. He invites these Jewish leaders over to his house because, again, he's under house arrest here. And, and he invites these people to hear about Christ, these Jews to hear about Christ. And as is the pattern in Acts, some believe, some disbelieve. There is a disagreement, and then he takes his message to this gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So let's pick it up in verse 28, the last couple verses that we have from Acts. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Something we got to point out here is Malta is spectacular. Rome is ordinary. And we so often we want to we go someplace to, be, to have a spectacular faith for God and go, do, go somewhere to be faithful and have this spectacular experience. Paul's faithful where he's at in the, in the spectacular and the ordinary. And the odds are God, God's calling us to an ordinary faith, a faith right where we're at. There, there is just so often an unspectacular nature of faithfulness unto Jesus Christ, not boring. Not unsatisfying, but not viper bites, miraculous healing. All of a sudden, 2,000 people come to faith. Like, there's this unspectacular nature. What I mean by this is, is what does this look like? This unspectacular nature of faithfulness in, in ministry and life as a Christian. Like, some examples of this. Is inviting neighbors over for dinner. Like, serving at your kid's school. Volunteering. Serving with the kids' ministry here at Redemption or on one of the teams. Like, blessing a sick friend. Giving up time or energy or or money just simply to serve, that's the trenches of ministry. And and none of that's going to get written in a biography. Like that's not going to get a Facebook status or an Instagram photo likely on the highlight reel of our life. That's just the trenches of ministry. And that's what God's calling us into. The the Christian life is one that's gospel-centered and outward-focused. And that's the life of Paul. When we center our lives on Jesus, on the personal work of Jesus, it drives us to look to the other. And this is the theme of the life of Paul to the very end, and I pray it's going to be the life of us and our church to the very end. Paul in Rome, house arrest, unspectacular. We need to remember that this narrative is true. It really happened, and why this is important is it tells us how we got here. It tells us how we got here. What do I mean? Well, we got to go back to Jesus' words at the beginning of Acts, Acts 1.8. This is kind of his, his rallying cry, these, these final words that Luke has in, in, for, the, for the life uh, of, of Jesus Christ. We get these words here, these final words, this, this rallying cry to the early church. And it says this. Jesus says this to, to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God has kept his word, for God keeps his word. He kept his word in sending the Spirit. He kept his word in in, in the reality of the gospel. The disciples did receive power. They were sent to Jerusalem. They were sent to Judea. They were sent to Samaria. And now Paul is in Rome, continuing the fulfillment of to the ends of the earth. Acts 28, this ending, this house arrest, Paul in Rome, is not a failure. It is God keeping his word, just like the cross was not a failure. It was the very symbol of victory itself. God is keeping his word. There's so much hope here at the end of Acts in this gospel going forth, the kingdom of God. But Rome is not the ends of the earth. It is the center of the earth. The readers in Acts wouldn't have read that and said, well, did it. Jesus, you can come back now. We made it to Rome. We made it to the ends of the earth. Well done. Everyone, a round of applause. We did it. Mission accomplished. The early, the first century audience there would have said, well, you made it to the center. All roads lead to Rome. We today, though, in Tucson, Arizona, we were the ends of the earth. Missionaries in Papua New Guinea and going to Myanmar, they're going to the ends of the earth in the last corner. Someone sacrificed, and many people gave up so much to bring the gospel here, crossing over great bodies of water and giving up so much to be here. We are living proof today, worshiping in the Americas that God has kept his word Let us not just reduce it to natural, like, oh, it makes sense. No, God is keeping his word, and he's bringing his word to every last corner of the world. And what would it look like for us? Because we're not all called to go to Myanmar. What would it look like for us to go to the end of our world, the end of the block, the end of the supermarket, to go to our Samaria, those who are neglected, forgotten enemies, dirty, unclean, Who are those people for you that God's calling you to go to Samaria? Go to the end of your world. We today are living proof, worshiping Jesus in Tucson, that God is keeping his word. Are we tracking with that? Yeah? I'll say it again. Are we tracking? Okay. And So in closing, final words, they're they're important words. And the ending of Acts, it's very intentional. I want to tell you, Luke didn't run out of ink. (laughs) It's like, well, I guess, done. Like, it, it, but it feels like it's not ended. It doesn't feel complete. I don't know if you guys felt that. Like, you finish the book of Acts, and it's like, well, that's, that's it? Luke's very intentional in this, though. Luke's very intentional. It feels unfinished. We don't have the expected ending. The reader is invited into the story because the story is unfinished. See, Luke, he's, he's inviting us into this Acts 29. Redemption Tucson, where we're at today, is in this Acts 29, this new chapter of the story. And Paul's Acts 28 message is our Acts 29 message. Those last words, and put them up on the screen, those, those last words of, of Paul, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And church, we are the only entity That has been charged to carry this message, this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom of God. We are the only entity that has been charged to carry this message, and we must carry it faithfully. We must carry it faithfully. We must carry it boldly. We must carry it clearly. The church has to be the place where we embody and proclaim this gospel of the kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom proclaims that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he has the highest throne, that he has all of authority, and that he created all things. This gospel of the kingdom is a glorious story of God creating all things and him creating us in his image. And we have this beautiful relationship with God. We have this beautiful relationship with one another. We have this beautiful relationship with ourselves. And we have this beautiful relationship with the created order itself. The king, God himself, created all of this. And it was as it ought to be. And we're longing to get back there. And we declared rebellion against God, mutiny against God. We wanted to be our own God. And we said, no, you are not an authority. We are in charge. We are in charge of our own destiny. And we, all that was beautiful was torn apart and broken. Our relationship with God was severed. Our relationship with our neighbor was severed. Our relationship with ourself was severed. And we feel it. And our relationship with the created order itself was broken. And God did not just stand aside and said, you made your bed, lie in it. He said, I'm going to enter the story and I'm going to get my hands dirty, and I'm going to die on a Roman torture device to bring about this redemption and to bring about the way things ought to be. I am going to die in place of their sin, and I'm going to start restoring these relationships. And, and he sends his spirit, this King, this Jesus, he sends his spirit to send us out into every corner of the world that we might bear witness to this reality, and we might proclaim the good news that Jesus reigns, that he is alive, and that he's coming back again to restore everything, to to heal everything, and all the relationships will be healed. We will will dwell with God again. He will be our God, and we will be his people. We will be restored as the family of God. We will be restored to ourselves, and we will be restored to the created order itself. Jesus is bringing this kingdom, and we must bear it faithfully. This kingdom is one of good news. Amen? We must carry it faithfully. We must in this Acts 29 carry the torch, carry the flag, carry the banner that Jesus died and he rose again and he has conquered sin and he will put every enemy underneath his feet. Satan is a defeated foe and Jesus will get what is his, which is everything. He is Lord. And let us have faith that God will keep his word to us. He has made promises to us, church, of salvation and restoration, grace and adoption. What a beautiful, beautiful, good God we serve. So let us live faithfully in this new chapter of the story, the Acts 29, with our entire life informed by this good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are good. You are on the move. We are here as evidence of that today. You have kept your word. And we long with anticipation for the day you will bring that in full. Where you will keep our word to us. Where you will put every enemy underneath your feet. Where you will undo every ounce of the curse. The old Christmas hymn says that you come to make your blessings flow far as the curse is found. Satan has won nothing. Your Redeemer, your Restorer. Thank you that we don't just have to hope in that blindly, but your resurrection gives us assurance of this grace, assurance of this victory. You've already won. You're just moving around the last lost pieces. We thank you. We love you. We respond to you now. In your name, amen.